0: Hey, um, real quick, if you guys don't have a Bible, um, you can either come up here and get one, and or maybe Anthony's going to hand you one. If you forgot one, um, like I did, you could take one. If you don't own one, they didn't tell me to do this, but you can keep the one that we're handing out as a gift from Redemption Flagstaff <laughs> to you guys. Anything else you guys want, just take it, too. It's, uh, <laughs> it's on this. <Vince. laughs> Um, so Vince, Vince likes to joke around a lot about how strong he is and so forth. True story, when we were praying for this church to start, and Vince wanted to take a group of us up here um, to walk around Flagstaff as if no one from Phoenix had ever been to Flagstaff before, but um, we actually got in a wrestling match, me and Vince. I haven't wrestled anyone, maybe in my life, but Vince and I wrestled each other. And true story, and you could ask him this, I didn't know he was really injured, and to, after he was walking us around, he goes, and here's an area where I think we can have a church, and here's another area. And he, I'm like, why don't you just turn your neck? He goes, I can't. You hurt my neck. And so, <laughs> anyways, I feel like I'd tell you guys that because I figured I'd tell you guys that. <laughs> so a little bit about me before we get into the, to the text today. Um, one, I, I am originally from Los Angeles, and said, uh, I did move here almost 20 years ago to go to college, which is crazy to think it's almost been 20 years. And I uh, went to ASU and uh, graduated with uh, education. And education, I wanted to be a, a priest, excuse me, I wanted to be an elementary school teacher. And then I majored in elementary education and I realized I never want to teach elementary age kids. Uh, I taught high school for a little bit in the West Valley and Phoenix and Peoria. Um, and after that, I, that's when I started getting into ministry, worked at ASU as a missions counselor for a little bit. I uh, was a youth pastor for a bit. Um, and then became lead pastor in Tempe. I'm married to Holly. My wife, we've been married for almost 12 years. We have two boys. We have a 10-year-old boy who's up here with me this morning, and then we have an 8-year-old boy who is at Disneyland with Grandma and Grandpa. Uh, yeah, life's rough. Pray for him. And so, uh, so yeah, so that, that's, who, that's who we are. I don't know if there's anything else. I'm a Christian. You guys probably know that. And so, uh, um, so one of the things, if you haven't heard me preach before, is I talk faster than most people in the world and so it is really hard to follow me i've tried to slow down i can't and so um, you just have to speed up your ears or something like that uh or go back and listen to it online and slow it down or something like that also um so if i say something true like you know god is good i may say amen and if you agree you would respond by saying amen or you just do what most people do and go all right so that's fine that's fine, too. One other thing Vince told me, is he said, hey, just to let you know, it's spring break, and so none of the college kids may not be here, and so the people that are here, um, there are better Christians. And so <laughs> I have no idea what that means, but that's, that's from Vince's lips to yours. Um, Okay, so we've been in this series, and that all of our congregations, we've been in in this series, Love Walked Among Us, and it's been an incredible series for at least us in Tempe. I'm assuming it's been really good for you guys here, and what I mean mean by that is not it's been great because we preach good sermons. Um, The reality of it is it's been great because being able to center in on the life of Christ has been absolutely phenomenal. For me, it's been the best preparation of any sermon series that we've been a part of, um, and to being able to slow down and see Jesus. And so, what we've said in 10B, particularly when it comes to this series, we want to be able to see the love of Christ on display and be able to slow down and look at the massive and incredible and simple ways that Jesus begins to love people. And what we said is that we wanted this series to be far more about um, not so much about our intellect, but about our emotion. And then far less about what we know about Christ in terms of knowledge and more about our affections and how we look to him and the way in which he loved and we're drawn to him. And we're drawn to this particular type of love, not so that we can just mimic it, but that we may realize our desire and our need to have that love of Christ in which we receive by the Spirit, then to be able to reflect that love to the men and women and children in the community where we're at And so there's been several different stories in which we've seen the ways in Jesus loved on display. We saw Jesus love this woman in a way of raising her dead son back to life. We've seen Jesus love a woman that was known as a woman of the city, and not just forgive her of her sins, but before a particular group of people restore her back to the community of the people of God. We've seen Jesus constantly move through compassion, and usually it works by him first just looking with his particular eyes. This morning, we're going to read from a text that if you've been around church for some time, it's pretty familiar. If you've never been around church, it's still familiar enough that maybe you've heard of it. And it's the story of Jesus in John chapter 4, the gospel of John chapter 4. Jesus meets this woman at a well. It's called Jesus and the Woman at the Well, or people call it Jesus and the Samaritan Woman. And I believe that what we have in this text, a m- bunch of things that John is, is writing here, but we have an encounter with Jesus. And so my prayer for myself and my prayer for us this morning and for all of our congregations that are preaching this um, at this time is that we would see ourselves as the woman. Oftentimes, as Christians, we like to see ourselves in the role of Jesus. Newsflash, we are not Jesus, um, We've never been and we never will be. We desperately need Jesus. And what we see is as Jesus encounters this woman, um, if we can look at her story fuller than maybe the normal ways when it's taught, then we might be able to understand what it's like to have an encounter with Jesus and realizing that Jesus is the one who's actually finding us at the particular wells of our life. And so let's pray, and then we'll be able to get into God's Word. Father, I, I thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to be here. I thank you, Lord, that we can gather, and we can gather Um, around you and with each other, that these elements are before us, this bread and this wine, that it means far more than we can think at or even imagine, that your presence is with us. And so, Jesus, I pray that you would remove me, that we may see who you are and what you were like and what you were up to, that we would be humbled by the grace in which you extend, that we would be humbled, Lord, by the awareness of our own brokenness and our own sin, that we would be humbled that you would meet with us, and that you would eat with us, and that you would drink with us, and that you would not just be living water, but you would give us the living water of the Holy Spirit. And so God, I, I pray that we would be able to encounter you in ways that maybe we weren't even expecting. God, that we would see this message is not for those in the room who have never trusted you, not, not for them only, but for those of us who have walked with you, that you would refresh our thirsty souls. And our lives, Lord, would begin to look more like You, as we follow You and as we trust You, in Jesus' name, Amen. John chapter four, verse one. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees, when Jesus learned the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus Himself did not baptize, but only the disciples, He left Judea and departed again to Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. And so he came to the town of Samaria called Sychar, uh, near the field of Jacob that Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's woe was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well, and it was about the sixth hour. Okay, so first, let me tell you, I love this story. I love this story for multiple reasons. Um, I became a Christian myself later in life. People say later in life, like when? And I, was, uh, I, was, I think I was about 21 or 22 years old. I was in my fifth year of college. You get five. And so I was in that year of college that the Lord began to reveal himself to me. Now, I grew up, though, um, in a family where my dad did not trust Jesus. Um, my mom did trust Jesus. And so I come from a lineage of not a bunch of men who love Jesus. I come from a bunch of women who love themselves from Jesus, right? And not just any women. I come from a lineage of black women, okay? Now, here's what I want to say. I'm not saying that black women are better than any other women, but they are black women, enough said. So my... my, my my mom and her sisters and my grandma are like praying women. And so when I see this story, I love it because my mom has a sordid past like the woman in this particular story, right? And so my mom, I have an older brother and I have an older sister. I'm the youngest of three. And my brother and my sister and I, we all have three different dads. Now, you can do the biological understanding to know how that happens, right? Um, and if you can't, I don't know. Um, and so, so, so I remember, but I, all I knew of my mom was this praying mom. And after I became a Christian, I remember having the conversation with your mom, and I don't know if you've ever had this conversation with your parents when you have those type of conversations with your parents. Like, hey, you know, mom, listen, I got some questions. So my sister who her name's Keisha and then I said and my brother is named Sherman and I said we all have different dads I just I'm just curious um, you know well, uh, never mind right <laughs> and, and and she, honestly, she began to tell her story about, essentially, growing up, she grew up in Mississippi, and uh, growing up in the South, how church was just a thing, you went through the motion and so forth, and, and she found herself, when she was 15, she got pregnant with my sister, and then a few years later, she started dating this other guy, got pregnant with my, my uh, brother, and then met my dad, and didn't even really want to marry my dad, but, but since my dad let, cared for the other two kids... My mom's mom, my grandma, was like, hey, this guy kind of likes your kids. You need to marry him. So my mom, not even in love with my dad, just marries my dad. Interesting guy he was, but it is. Um, And so they get married and then move to California, and they have me. And so... um, to her, to her, she was saying, this story, like, I didn't really encounter Jesus until I moved to Los Angeles, met your grandmother, my dad's mom, and she showed me what it was like to have a relationship with Jesus, and my life was absolutely transformed. Yeah. All right, so I share that with you because we have this story of this woman who has a bad rap, and like any commentary in which you read, it, it, it paints a picture of this woman that may not necessarily be that accurate. It may be, but it may not be. And so hopefully what we would see is not, okay, you need to have this sort of sordid past to be connected to this woman. No, no. You need to be anybody born in this world um, as a sinner separated from Jesus that you need to find a particular well in which you can meet Jesus and in which he can give you something in which you can drink and which you can have eternal life. Amen? So, 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 so there's a thrust of this particular text. So let me give you the context. So Jesus now, it says that um, what's happening is Jesus is, um, they find out the Pharisees and if you can recall, the Pharisees are not usually portrayed as the best people in the stories of Jesus, right? And they find out that Jesus is, or they hear that Jesus is baptizing more people than John, which wasn't really true because it was, it was the disciples that was baptized. But Jesus is like, listen, this is John's area. I'm not trying to, you know, steal his shine. I'm going to leave. And so him and his disciples leave from Judea to Galilee. Now, here's the thing. Many of you may or may not know this. In order, the quickest route from Judea to Galilee would be to go through Samaria. But Jewish people did not go through there because Jewish people did not get along with Samaritans. It wasn't like they just didn't get along. Like, they hated each other. Like, it was a racial issue. Um, if you go all the way back to King, the book of Kings, First and Second Kings, what you see is during that time, um, there was an exile, uh, particularly at 700 B.C., and what you had is that many of the people were taken away, and some of the Jewish people stayed there. And what you had is you had Assyrians and you had Jewish people, men and women, living in the same area. And then what you had with the Samaritans was just the intermingling of those particular cultures that made their own race. So essentially what happened is you had the Assyrians, they were looking at the Jewish men and women, like, yo, they look good. It was like, yo, tell your friends to get with my friends. We could be friends. We could do this like every weekend, right? And so... And then, like my mom with her three kids, they had kids. And if you don't know the biology on that, I don't want to tell you. All right. So you have this whole race of people, and so what you have here is there's these barriers that are there now, of which Jewish people did not intermingle to the point where they would go around. Like they would, they would, it'd be like me driving back home today. So I drove up here early this morning. It'd be like telling Noah, like, listen, dude, I don't the Camp Verde people. They are like ridiculous. We're actually gonna go through Payson. Um, We're going to go a completely different way to get back to Tempe. It would be pointless. However, that's what most people did. But not Jesus. What we have here is that Jesus is tired, um, and he gets to this particular well. He was with his disciples, those who were following him, but he sent them in to go get some food. And so he's sitting at this particular well, which he encounters this woman. Verse 7. And a woman from Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask to drink from me, a woman, from Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Okay, so um, I remember in college, this is pre-Jesus days, okay? that. So we were at this club, this bar slash club. And you know how people say I'm a broke college student, everybody says I'm a broke college student, and like college kids, like, if you look at the way they spin, they're really not that broke. Um, but I, was, I wasn't broke broke, but broke enough that I couldn't do anything once I got to the bar, right? Because there was a cover. Everything that I had, I paid to get in. And from there, it was a crapshoot. Maybe somebody buys me a drink, maybe somebody doesn't buy me a drink. And I remember sitting there, um, hanging out with my friends, and this girl came up to me, the first time this ever happened, not the first time a girl had ever come up to me. The first time that a girl had come up to me and said, hey, do you want to buy me a drink? And I chuckled, like, <laughs> you don't really know me, do you, right? <laughs> like, everything that I had, I spent, that $10 I had, I spent to get in here. Um, I can't get you a drink. And, the, and, then, and then I thought to myself, I said, hey, do you normally do this? And she goes, what? Like, go up to random people and asked them to get you a drink. She goes, no, I just thought guys do. Guys buy girls drinks. I said, I've never bought a drink for a woman in my life. i never bought a drink for a dude in my life. I can't even buy myself a drink, right? And, and it was just this awkward interaction. We became friends later. Um, it was just this awkward interaction, like the audacity that you would think that I would buy you a drink. And I get like, hey, that's shivery or whatever, but it's like, no, we're both in college. I don't like you. You don't like me. These drinks are very expensive. LAUGHTER um, and we did. We, we actually are still friends to, to, to... Hey, you know what? She lives here in Flagstaff, ironically, teaches at, at uh, NAU. She could buy you guys a drink now, but for goodness sake. So, so we, 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 have, we have... You have this moment right now where Jesus, it just seems awkward for so many different reasons, that he's sitting here at the well, and you got to... It's hard for us to put ourselves in the shoes. So Jesus is at this well. This woman comes in the middle of the day. By the way, me, people didn't come in the middle of the day to get water at this time, Um. Usually when women came, they came with a group of women. It would be something they would go, they'd get their water, and they would talk it up. It would happen yesterday was going down. You won't believe what such and such said. You should have seen what she wore to church. I mean, the gossip stuff, right? She comes by herself. She gets there. And Jesus is there. And I don't know what the encounter is like, because I don't know what they're, you know, like, you know how we have in, like, our culture, there's certain things like wave or you give them the nod or something like that. I don't know what it was. I think she walks up and she goes, I'm used to being here by myself. And here's this Jewish dude here. And, and then he looks at her and he says, hey, give me a drink. And she looks at him like, give you a drink? Like, this doesn't make any sense. And I don't, it was the audacity of like, how are you, a Jewish man, talking to me, a woman from Samaria, All right? So for us to be able to understand what kind of barriers Jesus is breaking down, we mentioned already that there, there was a cultural issue. There was a race issue here. I mean, actually, if you look at everything that's happening here, there's a race issue because... Jesus is Jewish and she's Samaritan. There is a gender issue that is happening because Jesus is a man and she's a woman. Uh, there's a religious issue that's happening right now because Samaritans begin to be believe worship in different ways from Jewish people. So if you look what's happening there, there's there is race issue, there's gender issues, and there's religious issues. Back then, good thing things have changed in our culture, right? And so you you have you have these barriers that are there that Jesus and his love begins to break down for this woman um, because he crosses those barriers by even just talking to her, that being able to talk to a woman, you understand for a woman in this day, like to talk to a man would, would like she could easily be divorced. She could easily be kicked to the side, easily, and that no man would talk to a woman And yet Jesus does. He continues here in verse 10. And Jesus answered and said, If you knew the gift of God and who it was that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well to drink from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come to draw water. Okay. So Jesus and this woman have this dialogue. She goes, Sir, um, like you can't talk to me. And he goes, Listen, um, if you would have known who you're talking to, you would have asked for a particular type of water, and he would have given you living water. Okay, so Jesus now shifts gears here and goes from talking about physical to spiritual. Now, now hear me on this. Um, this woman thinks she's having a very transactional conversation. This man asked for a drink. I can give him a drink. Like there's a, just an encounter of transactional conversation. But what's happening is, often what happens when people truly encounter Jesus, it's not a transaction that's happening. There's an encounter of transformation. That means someone's life is about to be changed right now. And, and here, here um, because a lot of people look at this text on evangelism, this is not um, like eight ways on how to evangelize. In fact, if we try to evangelize in this particular way, I think it gets really awkward, right? Hey, can, you, can I have a drink of water? Well, interesting, you want to drink water. I know one who can give you living water. Like, Christians are good at being awkward about you know, just anything. And, we all, and I get it. We want to we love people to Christ. We want to find moments to connect them to Jesus. But we find the horrible moments, like the worst moments, like where, where can I squeeze this in? And this happens all the time. Hey, hey, it's a good day. It is a good day. But you know what happened on the third day? Right? And it's just like, whoa, like too much. Jesus is able to do things that we're not able to do because he's Jesus, okay? We will follow him because he's in us, okay? That's just a sidebar just to say, like, hey, next time I'm at the bar, I'm like, listen, you're at the well, huh? I mean, <laughs> how deep do you want to go? Because <sighs> Jesus is deep, just so you know, right? Anyways, so there's 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 this moment where Jesus continue to encounter this woman, but he is no longer talking about physical; he's talking about spiritual. Because if you knew it was, and then he says this: "There's a gift of God that you would begin to ask for, and that you would begin to receive." Well, then she right because she's having a physical conversation. Is going? Wait, do you see how deep this well is? Like. Like, you don't have anything to draw from this well, and it's deep. I personally think not only is that physical, that if she's perceiving something, there's something else that's deep too, legitimately. That every well, metaphorically, that we have in our life, when we come to the Lord, like, it is deep. Like I'm I'm am I'm a firm believer, and I used to not be this way. I'm a firm believer that I don't care where your walk with Jesus came from. I don't care if you grew up in a Christian home and for the most part you didn't do bad, like bad things and so forth. I used to be a youth pastor, and testimonies of like young youth Christian kids were always the worst, right? And it was always like, I was really, really, really bad. Like, what'd you do? Like what was so what did you do? Doesn't matter. It was bad. And then Jesus saved me, right? I don't care if you were really, really bad and Jesus saved you or you came from an environment where God was never mentioned and you came to know Jesus. All of us have deep, deep wells in which we ourselves spiritually do not have the resources to draw from. And we need somebody outside of ourselves to be able to go that deep with us to be able to draw us out of our own selves. And when this woman says to Jesus... Particularly, the well is deep. She may just be talking physically about this particular well. She may be speaking to something to her own life. Well, then Jesus says, I can offer you something that is far greater than what this well could have. This, this well that you drink from, anybody who drinks from this well will be thirsty again. But the water that I give you, this person's never going to thirst again. This water, he says, it wells up into eternal life. So he's now, there's no like guessing. He's speaking spiritually. And I can only imagine being this woman. Like, like honestly, she's like, listen, I came to get water. You asked me for a cup. I told you, what are you doing talking to me? You now tell me you have eternal life. I'm not sure how that connection happens. We're, like, where in the conversation did we get connected here? Well, then she gets, begins to talk back. And you know what some people say? Some people say, well, she's being sassy. She's being smart. I think she's just being direct. And she says... The woman says, verse 15, I love this. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty and have to come to this, this and draw water again. Like, she's getting practical, like, okay, let's just say there is some water out there that I don't have to walk all of this, this, these miles with this thing on my head to be able to get it. Can you please show me this water? And then Jesus, like, you ever, you ever have one of those moments where you're having a regular conversation? And then the conversation turns and gets, like, real, like, serious, like, in a matter of seconds, right? Like, you're, like, you are having one conversation and the conversation turns. That's what happens here. Verse 16. And Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. And the woman answered to him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, And the one that you have is not your husband. What you have said is true. And the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming. He is called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us these things. And Jesus said to her, I, who you speak to, am he. So Jesus completely turns the conversation and if we're looking at Jesus' love here, like, Jesus can't help but love people. Like, he can't help it. Like, I honestly think Jesus shows up to this well because he's thirsty. <laughs> um, you say, why do you, why do you say that? Because it said that he's walking from one city to the next, and he sat down and he was tired at a well because he was thirsty. So just, you don't have to read too much into the text. <laughs> um, and this woman comes, but being Jesus, he understands this woman's story in the same way that he understands our story. And the conversation takes a shift because she's like, yeah, well, you know what? Why don't you give me such water? And then he says, okay, well, go get your husband. And then the woman, I mean, it's like it was like a, when someone asks you some of those personal questions that you don't want to talk about, especially a stranger, it takes you back, right? Like, you're just like, whoa, I, 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 I know. I don't even want to go there. He goes, why don't you go get your husband? She says, I don't have a husband. He goes, you're right. You've had a plenty, you've plenty of husbands. And the guy that you're living with now he's not your husband. Can we pause right there for a second? Here's why. We read this with our understanding and our cultural like knowledge, which, which we should, right? I mean, that's just normal. And oftentimes when you hear this, this woman is taught as the adulterous woman. She's taught as a promiscuous woman. She's taught as this woman who had one man, then had another man, and had another man, and the man that she's with now, she's not even committed to. She's living outside of marriage. She's got babies out of wedlock. I mean, whatever you have, you have this particular woman here. And that actually might be true, but we don't, we don't know for sure. Um, there are a range of things that we may have with this particular woman. One, we understand in our particular culture and day, though there are gender divides and so forth, a woman can be on her own and do okay. Right. She could be INDP and she could do the whole thing. She could be independent, doing her thing, snapping her fingers, fierce. Right. And in this particular day in culture, you could not be a woman without a man. Like, you could not survive. Hence why the first story in which we start in this series, that Jesus looks and has compassion on this particular woman who was a widow. That means the one man in her life that she had her husband died, and then now her grown man um, son, who would be there to take care of her, now she's dead, he's dead, and so not only is this woman weeping because she's lost her son, like she's about to enter into poverty. And when we understand that, we might be able to look at the scope of this picture a little bit different. So maybe this woman was married and her husband left her. Um, It was pretty easy to divorce a woman in that day, even in a spiritual community. You could literally say, I just want to divorce you three times and you could be divorced. Um, It could be that that um, she could have been a widow, that she's lost a husband and she got remarried. It could be that she was abused and she was abandoned by her husband. Um, it could be that she married and she left her husband and found another man. All those things could be true. My assumption is not, not all of them happen five times. There are certain situations when it comes to sin that we as followers of Christ have to have a broader view of what sin is. That sin is the things in which we commit against God, and oftentimes it's the things in which people commit against us. That sin is personal and is systemic. it's systemic, it's, it's a problem, regardless it creates a situation of brokenness that only the gospel of Jesus Christ can mend, fix and heal. So when we look at this particular woman, don't look at her primarily as just the wayward woman, look at her as people who were separated from God like you and I. And more so when you begin to turn the story around, you look at Jesus. Jesus is not budging or flinching. He's not ashamed. He's not awkward. He's able to have a conversation with the woman with no other men around. And he's not like saying like, hey, just so you know, you got to be this many feet away from me, right? He's looking at her in her eyes. He understands her story. And somehow he's know how to be present with her because he knows how to love. Sometimes as followers of Christ, we have so many different rules and lines that we create, that it actually gets in the way of love. There's all sorts of cultural boundaries that are set up for Jesus right now. He doesn't care about the boundaries because he cares about the person. And it's not that he's not concerned with truth. He is the truth. It's not that he's not concerned with what's right or wrong. He knows what's right or wrong. He's concerned with people who are outside becoming on the inside. He's concerned with people who were lost being found. He could have told this woman, listen, come back to me when you and your husband get married and then we can do like some, some um, marriage work and we can help you out. And you know what? Then I'll talk to you about this water. But that's not how salvation works. God never comes to us and say, get cleaned up and then come to me and watch me do a work. The way the gospel works is God comes and says, watch me do a work. And then you see how yourself get cleaned up because of the life and love and grace of Jesus Christ. So this woman, she has no idea what's about to happen, but it's about to get really good for her. My assumption, things have not been good for her. You go, why do you know that? Here's why. Women, like I said earlier, they would come to the well together with all the other women. Like that's how they would get it in. That was their time. That was their their mom time, right? And then yet to go by yourself meant probably most of the women didn't want her around. That probably, given her story and the way that her story is told, that people gossip behind her behind her back, that people knew, hey, keep your husband away from her because you know she's bad news. She's living with this dude and so forth. Um, that Jesus understands this woman and he has compassion on her because love is always compassionate. Let me I had to do something real quick because if you're like me, um, empathy, sympathy, compassion, we use those words synonymously. And they're not, but somehow we just use them synonymously, because if you're like me, you don't really know the difference. Um, so first, let me, let me name it this way. So there's, 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 there's a, like sympathy, right? And then there's empathy, and then there's compassion, if you think about how it goes lower. And so the, a couple weeks ago, so in my family, what we like to do is we, when we're together, we like to pick shows that we watch as a family. If I get to pick a show on Netflix, we're watching some cooking show. Um, not that I cook, in fact, I'm a horrible cook but I love watching other people cook and then the competition and everything else. Anyways, I love it. Um, when the boys pick, they pick this show, and I can't remember the name of it, it's like Ultimate Beastmaster or something like that. It's like America Ninja Warrior on steroids, right? And they love to watch it. And so we're watching it as a family. And there's this guy from Mexico who's like doing the, the, the exercises or whatever. I don't know what it is. He's, he's, doing, he's doing some ultimate beast master, ninja warrior type stuff, right? And he's going from one ring to the next and he flies to the next ring and lands and, and he grabs it and his shoulder pops up like, and you can just see it, right? And it's like, oh, right. And you have this visceral response. You're watching this. You're like, oh, and you're just, oh. okay. So here, sympathy would be my boys in this situation, like they see that he's in pain. Like, they see it. Now, if they knew this guy, they could write him a letter, hey, we saw you on Ultimate Beast, Master, Warrior, Ninja, deal, and we we saw that you're in pain, here's a letter, like it's a sympathy card, because we see, we notice your pain, right? Empathy would be um, my wife and I watching it, given the fact that between the two of us, I think we've had five shoulder surgeries, which, don't worry about that, um, not like fighting each other or wrestling. Um, that was Vince. And so we have, we, have, we will look at it and go, not only do we see your pain, there's a way in which we can like feel the pain that you're in, right? That would be empathy, okay? Compassion takes it even further. It says not only do I see your pain, not only do I feel your pain, but I am now going to join your pain and I have the ability to do something about it. When Jesus begins to love in compassionate ways, it is not just sending a card, it is not even just praying, it is saying, I I see your issue, I feel your issue, and I have the ability to step into your issue and change the entire situation. When he looks upon us with love, that's what love does, no matter what the boundaries, no matter what the walls are, because love is always true, and therefore love can be the light in places that are dark. And so Jesus draws near to this woman, And he says this, the the woman says, when she goes on to say, I perceive that you're a prophet, and then she tries to talk religious conversations now. But, you know, she says, but you, you know, we worship on this mountain because the Samaritans, they worship on this small mountain. See, when they came to the Old Testament, the Samaritans didn't listen or abide by the rest of the Old Testament, only the Pentateuch, which would be the first five books of the Bible. They built their own temple, and they worship a different place. And she's saying, okay, it's just the Jewish Samaritan thing. You think you know the truth, but really, we know the truth, and Jesus is like, listen, Neither on this mountain or on this temple will people worship. People will worship in spirit and truth because that's what the Father is looking for. And so Jesus begins to go to her particular heart. Like the issue here is a worship issue. And yet you think it's a location thing or you think it's you can worship this way or that way where the issue here is a spirit thing. The one thing that you're lacking is the only thing that can actually satisfy you. And that is the true living water. And when Jesus is offering this living water, he's offering her the Holy Spirit. Oftentimes when it comes to living water, we think Jesus is offering himself. But if even if you you skip a few chapters and you go to John chapter seven, Jesus doesn't just say, I'm the living water, I'm offering myself. He's talking about giving something that we may have that satisfies not just the person of who he is, but it's the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And it is the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives that we can actually begin to see the very one she cannot see. At this moment she cannot see. She goes, Okay, you sound good, you sound good, but wait, guess what? There's this dude who's coming, the Messiah. He's called the Christ. He'll let us know, and Jesus is like, yeah, he's me. I'm him. And, 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 and she is dumbfounded, right? Because now, she goes, if there's one hope that we have, it's this hope in Jesus that he will actually show up. Now, here's what I, I want us to see, is when it comes to love walking amongst us in this particular story, again, there's a lot of angles we can go to, the thing we have to be able to see is that oftentimes in our culture, And we'll say it as followers of Christ. We'll tell people, and if you're not a Christian in here right now, people have probably told you this too. Like, you need to find God, and you need to find Jesus. And I love what my friend Josh, who was here with you guys a few weeks ago, I love what he says. We don't have to find God. We don't have to find Jesus. You know why? He's never been lost. He's never been lost. We are the ones who were lost, and we just have the hope that God would find us. And what we see through the gospel is Jesus doesn't go around our particular messes. He actually steps right into Samaria. He steps right into our places of a well. He steps right into our messes, right into our past, right into our present, right into our future, and he meets us exactly where we are. That when we see love, love always goes to where people are at. It's not waiting in such a way, in a passive way, to go wait till they come to me. Jesus always comes to us, and he meets us where we are. And so often, we think, like I said before, clean up the mess and then we can come to him. And it's like, no, we can't clean up the mess. Like, we can't. Like, we cannot clean up the mess. And I'll tell you this. This is not, when I said earlier, this is not just a message for those who don't love Jesus. Many of us think we come to Christ, mess cleaned up, we're good. No, no, no. Those of you guys who have kids in the room, especially those little kids, you get it. You clean up the mess because you want it clean, but there's a mess about to happen again. Right? And it's going to happen again. And then you get out of diapers, it's going to happen again. And then they can start getting themselves in their, in their car seat, and you think, oh, crud, now the whole car's a mess. And then you think, they get even older. Pretty soon they're going to clean up their mess. I'm, I'm, think, I'm thinking it's never going to happen now. Right? I quit. Right. However, there's still the cleaning up. It's the same with us. Right? Here's what I mean. I'm talking to you as Christians now. I used to believe the lie that um, if this is the cross, Jesus forgave me of all my sins, which were a lot, before I came to meet him. And I got that. Like, I really got that part of the gospel. And I'm thankful for that part of the gospel. But then after the cross, it was basically on me to keep things together. It was basically on me to keep my, my room clean. It was basically on me to work as hard as I can to look more and more like Jesus. It's almost like the gospel was something that was given to me here when Jesus met me at the well, but then after here, I'm on my own. Or, or the better way I would say it is, the way that the gospel works is that Jesus is like the really, really good friend. You need a job. You are not qualified for the job, but you know your friend has a dad who owns the company. And she's like, hey, your dad owns the company. Can you get me in? Okay, I'll talk to my dad and see what he let's Okay, listen, check it out. My dad says, on my behalf, because of, on your behalf, because of me, he's going to get you the job. And then your friend gets you the job because his dad owns the company and he's, you know, your friend, and he gets you and he says, now that you're in, guess what? You're on your own. Don't screw this up. I feel like that's the way we live with Christ. Or we believe the lie that somehow, that now that Jesus is in our life, that we don't find ourselves drinking from wells that don't satisfy. Right? Now, I'm speaking to people here now. Many of us, we are drinking from wells that we know don't satisfy. We try to put a lid on those wells and said we're not going to go there anymore. We try to put software on those wells to not go there anymore. We tried to get accountability people around the well, stand around these wells so I don't go anywhere, and yet we find a way to drink from that well. And every single time we find ourselves saying, this does not satisfy. We go away from the well for a little bit and we come back again. This well could be a relationship. This well could be a substance. This well could be something in which we view. This well could be something in which we find ourselves bowing down only to know it does not satisfy. This message is not a message just for those of us who never met Jesus. This message is for us who have met Jesus, who find ourselves wondering again and say, Jesus, will you find me afresh that I may drink deep of your water of the Spirit that my life may be renewed? Because we need Jesus just as much as those who don't have Jesus. And the people who don't have Jesus need for us to need Jesus. When it comes to the gospel, it is not what you bring in terms of what you can give. All you need is need. And when you acknowledge that need, then we can drink deep of all the things that God has for us. This woman is not concerned about the five husbands, and she's not concerned about the dude who she's living with now. She's concerned about the one who now just spoke in such a way that she never thought she could hear somebody speak. And it wasn't some powerful message. It was Jesus, the Messiah, the one whom she's been longing for, and let me just tell you, the one in whom the world's been longing for, and even though they don't know it. That Jesus gives us something that we can have that we never have to return to anything else to be able to give us temporary satisfaction, but we can have satisfaction that wells up to eternal life. Amen? So, so here I am, this random encounter, okay? You want a random encounter with a stranger that this woman has. So my story, particularly, here, I, mean, I am a senior in college. I'm not looking for God. Grew up in church. I couldn't wait to not go to church when I graduated high school. I grew up in the black church. So you know, we went to church Every day, it felt like, probably four days a week. No joke, four days a week. And church on Sunday was like an all-day event, okay? My friends in my apartment complex would say, let's play football tomorrow. I'm like, oh, tomorrow's Sunday. I have church. And they're like, well, let's play football after church. And I said, I don't think you understand. There's no such thing as after church. That's Monday morning, right? And so we would just be there all day long. So when I got to college, I'm like, I'm not going, I'm not going to church. I'm like, I'm, I'm done, I'm not, I'm just not into that, right? So I'm living my life, I'm doing my thing, I'm playing football everything that I want is there. I didn't have this story where it was like, and, and then my legs fell off, and then I needed Jesus. It was like, no, like, my life was actually going really well, I thought. And I'm sitting in this apartment complex, and I get a phone call from this woman. I answer my... Aunt, I don't do that, because you know why? I haven't had one of these in ever, forever. I answer my, my phone, I <laughs> answer my cell phone, And it's a 323 area code, so I know it's someone from L.A. And so I pick it up, and it's this lady. She goes, hey, tells me her name. And I said, yeah. She goes, I'm in your mom's prayer group. So my mom's in this prayer group with all these women. And she goes, and your mom's been sharing your story, and we've been praying for you for months. And I just told your mom, the Lord has told me to call you. And so I'm mad because my mom gave this random (laughs) woman my number, right? And, uh, And she's telling my story to everybody, right? So she begins to speak. Okay, now, for those of you guys who are not, this could weird you out a little bit. She says, okay, Lord has a word for me, from you. And I'm like, all right, give the word. Now I grew up in a pretty charismatic church. People was always giving words. Whether they were from the Lord or not, we're not really sure. But so this, this lady, she spoke and she spoke like Jesus spoke to this woman. She spoke about my past, my present, in ways that nobody, my, no, my mom didn't share this with her. My mom didn't know these things. She spoke about things about me running from God and trying to find satisfaction in other places and how God meets those things. And for the first time in my life, y'all, I had heard Jesus Christ died for the sins of the world, that if you believed in Him and professed with your mouth and believed in Him, that you would have. I heard all that. I couldn't see it. That was, the way she spoke that day, the Lord gave me the Spirit, He gave me the living water to be able to see the gospel. To see my need and the weight of my own sin and my own brokenness, and to see how that need is met only in the saving and powerful work of Jesus Christ, for the first time in my life, in my life, I could finally believe the very thing that my mom had been praying about and talking about for all these years. And it radically changed my life. It radically changed my life. I share that with you for this, is going, I've had multiple moments like that in which Jesus is constantly radically changing my life. You know why? Because I've had multiple moments again where I've realized the weight of my sin, and I've realized the weight of my own brokenness and the brokenness around me, that I needed the Holy Spirit afresh to be able to show me the ways of Christ that my life may be able to be transformed, that I may be able to drink deep from him. This woman, I'm gonna close with this. This woman from here, she runs away from here. She runs away from Jesus, not because she's afraid. You know why? There's something when you encounter someone like Jesus and how good he is, you can't help but go and tell everybody. (laughs) Right, the reason why people make this as such a message on evangelism is because, like, she's an evangelist. She's not an evangelist. She's a lover, and she's been loved for the first time in her life in ways that she can't explain. You always tell somebody when something like that happens. You don't just go, oh, "I'm gonna keep this to myself." Right? No. She runs back into the town. She goes to the men, which is interesting enough, probably because the women wouldn't listen her in the first place. She goes to the men and says, "Okay, all right. I was going to get water. Where's the water at? Okay, forgot my water. We'll go back and get that." But there's better water out there, right? And my assumption is she goes, there's this man, he told me everything about my life and he knew me and he claims to be the Messiah. He has to be this life. My life is changing right before me and then all of the men and everybody, they go to see Jesus. My assumption is Jesus is there. The disciples come alongside. The disciples are tripping out like, Jesus, what are you doing? Like, what are you doing talking to this woman? And Jesus is able to cross those barriers and meet. Religious people don't know how to cross barriers. They don't. Church people, hear me, we don't know how to cross barriers. We don't know how to be Jew and Gentile. We don't know how to be black and white. We don't know how to be Native American and Latino. We don't know how to be be Democrat and Republican, for goodness sake. But those who are in Christ Jesus, they have no problem doing that. Because they knew that God himself has crossed the ultimate barrier on the cross in Jesus Christ and gave his life in order that we may be able to be welcomed into his family that the true barrier that stood against us was sin, Satan, and death, and Jesus erased that, and his life, and his death, and his resurrection. Only when we are able to experience and receive that love, only then we're able to go to the Muslim. Then we're able to go to those with different understanding of sexuality. Then we're able to go with those with wildly different religious beliefs than us. Then we're able to go with those who are older. We're able to go with those who are younger. We're able to go with different language. We're able to go to different countries and be able to hold up the love of the gospel without losing the very thing that saves us. Because Jesus is the one that found us, and Jesus is the one that keeps us. And if He's truly in us, then that love has to be able to be shown to the rest of the world. Amen? Amen. I want you guys to do this. Close your Bible or your Bible app. Um, I'm going to pray. We're going to get in time of reflection, and Anthony's going to come lead us in a time of responses. Father, we're the woman. And God, we just want to confess to you, Lord, there are all of these wells that we find ourselves going to. And we feel like the woman, we have to. That it draws us, that we believe sometimes that these things sustain us, that these relationships sustain us. The Lord, that we want more of it, and if we had more of these particular wells, then, then maybe our life would be secure. If we can make more of them, Lord, to leave, leave the legacy for those who come after us, That all of these things, many of them, Lord, which you've created is good, and yet we've made them the ultimate thing. Lord, we pray that we'd be able to repent and be able to meet you, Lord, at the well in which you are looking for us, that you would satisfy us, that you who know all of what we've done, what we are doing, and what we would do, and yet you love us and you accept us. But the water in which you provide the Holy Spirit is a permanent thing that you do not take away. But it refreshes our lives. It gives us, Lord, the very eyes to be able to see who you are. Jesus, we confess our need of you and ask that you would fill us with your spirit, that you would lead us and that you would guide us. It's your name we pray. Amen.